Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing to walk through the book of Matthew, and we are in chapter 10. And this morning we're going to talk about the cost and compensation of following Jesus. The cost and compensation of following Jesus. Before we get started, let's pray together again. Father, we come now to this time where we desire to hear from you. As Jesus prayed, we say, Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And so I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, this morning what the Spirit has to say to the churches. I pray, Lord, that we would hear, heed, and believe Jesus' words this morning, that we would count the cost and find Jesus more worthy, more glorious, more valuable, more precious than anything this world has to offer. I pray, Lord, we would be like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field, and in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy the field and have the treasure. You're the treasure, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, have faith to be willing to give it all gladly for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. And uh, as I said, we're going to talk about the cost and compensation of following Jesus this morning. And as you do, I just want to give you some, I want to go ahead and give you some illustrations of what we're going to be talking about. These are real life stories uh, that, uh, were, uh, that I found on a website called iCommitToPray.com, which is a ministry of Voice of the Martyrs which is an organization which helps support persecuted Christians around the world. And uh, it's a great ministry. If, if, um, if you're interested in supporting persecuted Christians around the world, I encourage you to check out that ministry and perhaps go and support it, Voice of the Martyrs. But I just want to read you a few stories that uh, came up recently. October 1, 2020, Nepal. 24-year-old Bensa grew up in a Hindu family. One day, she heard a gospel song on the radio, which led her to think about Christianity. She decided to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior. When her family learned about her decision, they kicked her out of the house. Bensa then went to Kathmandu, the capital city, in search of work to support herself. She found a job in a coffee shop and rented a small room. On her day off, she attended church. But when the coffee shop owner learned that she was a Christian, he fired her. For four months, Bensa couldn't pay rent and often went hungry until a Voice of the Martyr-supported evangelist found her and provided help. September 3rd, 2020, Tanzania. Juma met with his pastor secretly after coming to Christ, afraid that his Muslim family would find out about his conversion. When his wife eventually found some of his Christian books, she immediately called his brothers, who were all radical Muslims. His brothers burned the books, beat Juma, and threatened him. When word spread that he was a Christian, Juma was completely rejected by his relatives, neighbors, and friends. He also lost his job. 
No one will hire him, and no one is willing to give an apostate work, a VOM worker said. Pray for Juma and others like him. August 13, 2020, Laos. When Jai placed his faith in Christ in December of 2019, his Hmong family was very unhappy with him. They told him he could have no share in their father's inheritance, and they divided the property among themselves. They accused him of taking a foreign religion and disrespecting the tradition of their ancestor worship. I don't care for lands or houses, Jai told them, as long as I can keep my faith. In February 2020, when Jai built a new house, his family, his family and the village leader began to threaten him. Hoping to reconcile with his family, Jai invited his pastor to the village to explain the Christian faith to them. Jai's family and other villagers listened to the pastor, but they told Jai that as long as he remains a Christian, there will always be problems. We're going to see this morning, as illustrated right here from brothers and sisters in Christ in just these most recent months, that there is a cost, but also a compensation to following Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. And if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever, Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The word of God. You may be seated. We're going to see three things from our passage this morning. Number one, we're going to see that following Jesus rends relationships. Following Jesus rends relationships. Number two, following Jesus reorients priorities. Following Jesus reorients priorities. And number three, following Jesus receives its reward. Following Jesus receives its reward. Number one, first. Following Jesus rends relationships. We see this in verses 34 through 36 there. If we go back and look at chapter 10, we'll remember that Jesus is sending out his disciples, right? He's sending out his disciples. And that naturally leads to a discussion, an explanation of the opposition that they would face as they go out and proclaim the gospel. And of course, that, that, that would extend beyond the time the immediate time when he's just sending them out among Israel, but that would go forth into the time when he sends them out to the nations, to the world. And uh, this explanation, of course, naturally leads into an exhortation, which our uh, our brother Jordan uh, talked about last time, about not to fear, not to fear. You're going to face opposition, but Jesus says not to fear. 
Don't be afraid, because God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows the number of every single hair on your head. So you don't have to be afraid. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say, if you, you know, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. But, of course, the converse of that is true as well. If you own me before men, Jesus says, I'll own you before my Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus continues really along these same lines of thought here as he, as he explains the divisive nature of the Christian faith. And we can, we can understand why he would want to do this. And in fact, he says, do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace by the sword. And he, he, he obviously needs to say that because, you know, we might naturally, we might very naturally think that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. And there'd be good reason to think that. For example, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, at Jesus' birth, the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, Isaiah would refer to him as the prince of peace. And so there is some fact to think that that's what Jesus came to do, but Jesus wants to, he's, he, but he, he comes back and he says, but do not think that that's what I've come to do. Because he wants, to, he wants his followers to rightly understand the nature of Christianity. In other words, Jesus is not interested in this bait and switch. He's not trying to sell people one thing and then when they get in, they find something different. And Jesus especially is not interested in followers who are just going to turn tail when their faith actually starts to cost them something. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to count the cost ahead of time so that when your faith costs you something, and it inevitably will, you'll, you'll have already known, you'll have already counted the cost. So what does Jesus mean there when he says, I have not come to bring peace on earth? Especially in light of the other passages that seem to suggest that he has come to bring peace on earth. Well, it's, it's pretty clear if you think about it, and that is he's in, diff- in the different context, he's speaking about two different things. That is, in one sense, Jesus came to bring peace on earth. And that's a very true sense. That's very true in that sense. But in another sense, Jesus did not come to bring p- peace. And in that sense, that's very true. And so we have to understand in which sense he's talking about which. And we can understand it in this way as well. That Jesus, in coming to bring peace in one sense, he at the same time is going of necessity really to bring division in another sense. And what does that mean? Well, just think about it. What kind of peace did Jesus came to bring? Well, he came to bring peace ultimately with God, right? Peace with God. But if Jesus came to bring us peace with God, what does that mean that we didn't have before Jesus? Peace with God. So when Jesus came to bring peace with God, he comes bringing the message that what? That apart from him, we are not at peace with God. And so in order to bring peace with God, he comes proclaiming that we are not at peace with God. That we all, as the Bible said, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we all, as the natural inclination of our heart, all of us without exception, want to do what we want to do. And, and, and 
We want to be in control and, and, and we want to be in charge of our own life rather than rendering that right to God to whom alone it belongs. We are without sin. We are in rebellion against God, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. And so to bring peace with God is to proclaim that we need peace with God. And when you do that, it's going to bring division, right? It has to because... Because people, because of sin, and we were, all of us, before we became Christians, right, we all felt the same way too, right? I don't, I don't want somebody to tell me I'm not right with God. I don't want somebody to tell me that I'm going to be held accountable for my actions. I don't want somebody to tell me that somebody had, that there's a being infinitely greater than me that has rights over my life. To rule me, to guide me, to lead me, and who will hold me accountable for the life that, they get, that he gave me every, every breath, every heartbeat. And so, the same mission that Jesus came to bring vertical peace, right? Peace with God. The same mission that he came to bring vertical peace is also going to bring horizontal division. It, it, of necessity, divides the world. And we've seen this in the book of Matthew. And we're going to continue to see it throughout the book of Matthew. When we get to the parables, for example, you know, he talks about it all the time. You know, one example would be the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, right? This is what Jesus, this is, this is, this is just the nature of reality. When Jesus came into the world proclaiming peace and forgiveness of sins through himself, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we might be reconciled to God... The, the, then, and, and the, the brute fact of his resurrection from the dead and the validation of all that he proclaimed, all that together forces the world, forces a decision upon the world, right? Upon every individual. Everybody has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. You just have to. You can't ignore a man who rose from the dead. You have to decide what you're going to do with this man, and, and so, and so it's, it's, it's just very simple. Either you're going to repent of your sins and believe in him and trust him and follow him, that he is good and righteous and just and true and that he knows better than you and me, or you won't. And you just continue to do what you want to do. But either way, a decision has to be made. Christ has divided the world. And we live in a day... Of a lot of division, uh, down lines of identity, identity markers. We like to classify ourselves in different ways. Along race, uh, gender, sexual identity, uh, political, I- political ideology or political uh, group. Okay? We like to divide ourselves. And I'm not saying any of those things... I'm not saying those things are, don't matter or that they're completely unimportant. Some of them, I mean, many of them are very important. But I just want to suggest to you this. That their relative importance compared to the significance and the identity that we find in Jesus Christ, their relative importance is infinitesimal. That is, that is... A billion years from now, it will not matter what 
political ideology or, or, or even what your, your race or, or whatever group you want to identify yourself with. It won't matter. The only thing that'll matter is what did you do with Jesus Christ? And a good friend of mine gave a really good illustration. He said, uh, when we were ta- having a conversation about this, he said, all these fights that we're having about, you know, the devil's a genius. He's having, he's having us fighting all these, all, all these, over all these temporal things, right? And, and it's like, my friend said, it's like we're fighting over which chairs to sit in on the Titanic. See what I'm saying? The devil doesn't care, care how he gets you to hell. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if your idol was the Republicans or Democrats. He doesn't care what your idol was. If he can get you fighting amongst yourselves and you totally ignore God, he doesn't care. He doesn't care how he gets you to hell, as long as you don't put God first in your life. We're fighting over chairs on the Titanic. And what I'm saying is there's something that matters infinitely more, and it is Jesus Christ. And if we're going to divide over anything, then let it be over Jesus Christ. Now, Christ will cause division. There ain't no doubt about that. But if we're going to divide over something, at least least let it be something worth dividing over. And that is our eternal destinies, Jesus Christ. This passage here in Matthew 10 is actually a reference to Micah chapter 7. Micah in his day, he said this. He said, put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You see, Micah in his own day... Uh, centuries before Christ came, he sees the evil and wrong that people were doing to one another within their very own households. And Jesus, Jesus picks up on Micah's words there and says, Micah was pointing to something greater. He was pointing to my day when, when houses would be divided and not just over this, not just over that, they'd be divided over me. Faith in Christ will divide relationships. As, we, as I read at the beginning of the message, there are people today, this very day, whom the Lord is drawing, that know that if they followed Christ, they could lose their family, they could lose their job, They could lose their life. It might feel kind of distant to us here, but look, I read those stories. Those happened like this month. Some of those happened this month. This is real life. This is normal Christianity. These are real decisions that real followers of Christ have to make. They have to decide whether they're going to have their family or they're going to have Jesus. They're going to have a job and and knowing where they're going to eat tomorrow or have Jesus. And that's a real decision that that our real brothers and sisters in Christ are really making even today. And so we who are unbelievably blessed in ways that we can't possibly imagine, we just need to take it to heart. 
And we need to count the cost. Because what, how hypocritical and shameful would it be that we who were the most blessed people in all the world, when it finally came down to it to cost us something for our faith, and it very well could be soon that we just melt and crumble under the weight. When so many of our brothers and sisters have suffered so much, and they've had so much less than us. I don't want that to happen. We must choose Christ. We must be prepared. We must not think. Jesus said, do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. In other words, he's just saying, he's just saying prepare your expectations. Faults or unrealistic or wrong expectations are the bane of every good. They've destroyed so many relationships. You just got to have, you got to, you got to, you got to make proper. You got to think and prepare your heart and have the right expectation. And Jesus says you need to have the right expectations when you follow me. When you follow Christ, it's going to cost you something. It's going to make you an exile from every other community. It's going to make you an exile. You're just, you're just not going to fit in exactly anywhere else. Because no other identity group perfectly lines up with the kingdom of God. Not even close. And so, you know, you may say Republican, may say Democrat, may say this, may say that. Maybe your race, maybe your sexual or gender identity. But whatever it is, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not going to fit in there. And at, and at, and at some point, and even, even within your own family, and at some point, the demands of one group are going to conflict with the demands of Jesus Christ. Why? Because none of them perfectly align, right? Even within your own family. And so at some point... At some point, we're, we will be forced to choose. Where the group's going to be saying, if we have to go this way, and Jesus is going to be saying, not if you follow me, you're going this way. And you have to decide which identity is most ultimate to you. My identity in Christ or my identity in anything else. And I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you. Choose Christ. Choose Jesus. He's better. He's purer. He's truer. He's longer lasting. He knows how to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. For eternity. And you see, Jesus knew this. It hurts. It hurts. It's painful. It's not easy. The call to follow Christ is the call to suffer. Jesus said, whoever would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is, by definition, being a Christian is self-denial. It's saying, it's saying I feel one thing, I think one thing, but I'm going to do something else. Why? Because I trust Jesus more than I trust myself. It's self-denial. For the glory of God and for his sake. It's not always going to be easy, but guess what? He will walk with you through it. Whatever, whatever the cross that, that Jesus calls you to bear is, he will help you carry it. And every Christian's cross looks a little different. But every Christian has a cross. No cross, no Christian. Every cross looks a little different, but every Christian has a cross. But Christ is worth it. He's worth it. 
So number one, following Jesus rends relationships. Number two, following Jesus reorients priorities. Following Jesus reorients priorities. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we see here that if we're going to follow Jesus, even at the risk of losing even those closest to us, the only way this can happen is there must be a change in priorities in our life, right? Because if your family is, is what's ultimate in your life, then you'll be unwilling to do that. You'll be unwilling to endure that loss for Jesus. It's only if your, your priorities are reoriented where Jesus takes the radical core and center of your life that you'll be willing, even at great pain and sorrow, to suffer other losses in order to cling to him. It's costly. It reorients our priorities. And this is what he says. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so he, talks, he begins by talking about our human relationships. And I just think that's because that is, a, that is probably one of our strongest temptations, right? The, uh, you know, and of course, nothing's wrong with loving your family. We should love your family. But Jesus recognizes if, that if, if, if for many people, if there's one thing that would cause them to turn their back to Christ... It would be the one thing they loved the most, and that would be their family. And Jesus says, your allegiance to me must be even greater than that of to your family. It's radical. It's radical. There will be things that even those closest to us, if you're going to follow Christ, won't make sense. It just won't make sense. And believe me, church, the more the culture and the society goes down the path that its logic is taking it, what we believe as Christians is going to seem more and more strange and outlandish. I'm just telling you. It's just reality. It's 2020. How can you still believe that? It's 2020. We don't think like that anymore. We're not, that, that's bigoted. That's hateful. I'm just telling you, it's going to seem weirder and weirder, if not downright wrong and hateful. And this will strain our relationship. Sometimes the strain may be little. Sometimes the strain may be much. And as Christians, and this is important, and as Christians, when we have strain because of our faith, we just need to be clear that we need to make sure and be careful that the strain is coming from biblical faithfulness and not pharisaical self-righteousness. In other words, if people don't like us for being Christians, at least then let it be truly because we just believe the faith once for all delivered to the saints, the 2,000-year testimony and witness and doctrine of the Christian church. Don't let it be because you're a jerk. Okay? And you're just arrogant and pompous. Don't let it be because of that. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, it is true that if we are kind and humble and, and loving and gentle and godly as, and holy as we possibly can be, in many cases it still might not be able 
to save the relationship. Because in just, I'm just telling you, in many cases, people are going to demand further than you can go. And there are some things that fall in Christ. You're just not, there's just some places you're not going to be able to go. There's some things you just won't be able to celebrate. It's just reality. And so if we, if we suffer, then let it be for Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes biblical faithfulness requires that we say no. And the question is, when push comes to shove, what are we going to choose? So don't mistake what Jesus is saying here. This is radical. It's radical. And we need to feel the weight of it. Jesus is saying that he has the right and the authority and the glory and the goodness and the power and the the, the, and the sum of all perfections, he has the right to demand full and total and ultimate allegiance from you. That's Jesus' claim, right? What else could he possibly be saying? Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What else could he possibly be saying except that he has total rights over your life? And of course, that only is natural if he is, in fact, who he said he was, the Son of God, the King of the universe, the Savior of the world. Now, and now notice that Jesus is not like an earthly king. He does indeed have full rights and authority over every single square inch of your life, but he doesn't lord over it like some kind of pompous, you know, arrogant king. What did Jesus do with his divine authority? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's a good king. He's a kind king. He's a merciful king. He's a king that has already laid down his life for you. What a small thing it is to lay down your life for him. And so... If we see him as he is, if we grasp the gravity of what he has done in the giving of himself, that we might be forgiven of our sins and spared the just condemnation of eternal separation from God that he took upon himself on the cross in order that we might be forgiven of our sins. If we feel the weight and the gravity and the glory of what he has done for us, we will see what a small thing it is to renounce all that we have to give it to him. And you know, this word that Jesus said, it had to shock them as much as it shocks us. It had to. But if anything, it speaks to our overinflation of just the things of this world and our underestimation of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to underestimate Jesus Christ. In Christ, our priorities change. Jesus came to create a new family, a new humanity. We are grafted into the family of Abraham, not by blood, but by faith. We find in other believers, Jesus said, mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, sons, and daughters. A brotherhood, sisterhood, fatherhood, motherhood deeper than we could ever find in this world. 
in Christ, our priorities change. And so this is, the, this is the proclamation of the church. This is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is supreme. Other things may be important. And many things are important. So very important. But they're not ultimate. And if we get that wrong, we get it all wrong. Only one thing is ultimate. And that is Jesus Christ. Your family is not ultimate. Your political bent is not ultimate. Your gender or sexual identity is not ultimate. Your race is not ultimate. Family is Lord. Race is not Lord. Political ideology is not Lord. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. And he demands all of us. And notice what it means he talks about being worthy of him. Notice this is different. It's different than the world. When we talk about being worthy of things, and I know this, many people, they feel unworthy. And, that's, and they end up thinking destructive thoughts or getting into destructive habits out of this sense of unworthiness. But notice what Jesus is saying about being worthy of him. It's totally different. It has nothing to do with your capacities, has nothing to do with your abilities, has nothing to do with how smart you are, what your socioeconomic status is, what you, you, you know, it has nothing to do with anything. The only thing to be worthy of Christ is, do you trust him more than you trust yourself? Do you believe in him more than you believe in yourself? Are you willing to lay down everything else for his sake? That's, it's, not, it's not a matter of capacity, it's a matter of faith. Is the only thing required to be worthy of Jesus Christ. Whoever does not deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me is not worthy of me. Just think about that for a second. It's easy. You know, we wear crosses on our necklaces, on our jewelry. Let me tell you something. If you did that 2,000 years ago, people would say, what's wrong with you? Would you wear an electric chair? On your jewelry? Would you wear a noose on your jewelry? Would you wear a lethal injection syringe on your jewelry? But that's what you're doing when you wear a cross. In, in Jesus, when Jesus said, whoever does not deny himself, take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, you recognize that, they, that it was not an uncommon sight in ancient Israel to be walking down a road and seeing a person nailed to a cross gasping for air until they hung there, until they died. Nails through your hands and your feet and, and these, these disciples would have known exactly what they look like and they're imagining a man with nails in his hands and nails in his feet into a block of wood and they're looking at this man as they're walking by the street and Jesus says, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, You're not worthy of me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That we love him better than life because he is our life. Because, as he said in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see that? What is he talking about? Well, he's obviously talking about two different things. You can, find, you can find your life in this world and lose it. 
or you can lose your life in this world, but really find it. Real, full life forever. You can find life according to your to worldly values. You can have everything in this world that you think would make you happy. You can have your dream job, a nice family, 2.3 kids, a gym membership, and a dog named Spot. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Perhaps the worst thing that could happen to a person is they find their life here just to lose it there forever. But Jesus says that's not the only way. You can, you can yes, it's painful, it hurts, it's hard. You can lose your life here. But you can find it forever. You can deny yourself here. But you can have full, lasting, blissful, unmitigated joy forever in the age to come. Because you trusted in your Lord and your Savior. And I just want to say this too. That we're just not talking about pie in the sky. It's all going to work out in the end. Which it will if you believe in Christ. But I just want to say this too. That the greatest life to be lived now, the greatest life to be had now in this present age is a life of following Jesus Christ. You want to know how I know that's true? Because I know people. I know people who have good jobs, who look nice, who have nice families, who, humanly speaking, the vast majority of the world would look at them and would say, I just wish I had what they had. And you know what? They're miserable. And they're dying on the inside. And they have no idea what they're living for. Why? Because life is not about just finding it in this world, but life is about living for something greater than yourself. It's about realizing that we were made not just for a few fleeting years, but we were made for eternity. And that we, with our one short life, can actually make an eternal difference in the lives of others if we will stop living it for ourselves and start living it for God and His glory and His kingdom. And it will give us a hope, and it will give us a peace, and it will give us a strength and a courage because we're finally actually living for something that matters. There's no greater life that can be lived today, much less for forever, than the life that is in Jesus Christ. Following Jesus rends relationships. Following Jesus reorients priorities. And finally, number three, following Jesus receives his reward. I'll be, I'll be brief here. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In Jewish culture, a representative of the person is as the person himself, right? If, if, a, if a king sent a messenger with a message and the message, was, the message was rejected, even though, you know, it was sent through a messenger, right? Well, then if you reject the message, you're rejecting the one who sent the message, 
If people reject, if we go and we take the message of Jesus Christ to other people and they reject the message, they're not just, re- we, you know, we, people today were so, I mean, I feel it, you know, I don't know, surely I'm not the only one who feels that we fear rejection. We want people to like us. Nobody wants to be called a hateful bigot. We don't, we don't want to be rejected. We want people to like us. I want people to like me. But if we have a message from the king and we deliver the message and people reject us because of the message that we're bringing, Jesus says, don't fear. Because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And if I have, if I have to be rejected in this world, if, I, if I'm going to have to be rejected in this world, I at least want it to be in good company. And if you get rejected along with Jesus, you're in good company. You're in good company. But Jesus says, whoever receives his message receives a reward. Whoever gives a cup of cold water in his name receives a reward. One cup of water given in Jesus' name will receive its reward. One dollar given to the ministry of the church, given to the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Convention, one dollar given to Voice of the Martyrs to help persecuted Christians around the world, one, one walk across the street to cook a meal for a neighbor, one cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus Christ will receive its reward. I'm going to read this text, then I'll be done. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him... Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one people from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, or give you drink? And when did we see you stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of these brothers... You did it to me. You see, the glory of Christianity is this. It frees us from our greatest problem. It frees us from ourselves. It frees us to live for something greater than ourselves. To love God and people from the heart, regardless of what they think about us. And we... And we're free then. We're free. We're free from the world. We're free from what happened. We're free from our circumstances. We're free from people's opinions. We're free to just serve Christ because if we serve him, it doesn't matter what else happens to us. And we just go and we serve and we do and we just don't, we don't think about it. We don't keep count. We don't say, well, I did this for this person. They hadn't, they hadn't even thought about me. And blah, 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 blah. You're free from yourself, Christian. To love and serve from the heart. And you, you do good and you forget about it and you move on. And you don't even think about it. And then you stand before Jesus one day and, and, and Jesus says, you did this, this, and this. And you'll say, what are you talking about? When did I do that? And he said, no, that cup of cold water, I was watching. You might not remember, but I remember. I remember. 
And what you did for them, you did for me. Following Jesus receives its reward. Let's pray.